they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We are all evil in some form or another. I'm not guilty. The dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. If I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hey guys! Hello! It's Bad Taste Crimecast! Woo woo! We're back again! Y- yep. But it, it, I mean. We're here. Yeah, it's not October anymore. I know! I'm so sad! My favorite month, but Thanksgiving's it's coming up though. Holiday season, I mean. Everybody getting their Christmas presents? Take care. Uh, uh, See, my mom, my mom <laughs> buys Christmas presents throughout the entire year. So in like March, she's like, "Oh, I just bought a Christmas present for." I insert usually do that, but I've been yeah. poor the last two years. Mm, that's fair. So I always I'm like intend like, to do that, and then I forget, and then I'm scrambling I two be weeks before Christmas. On my fucking shit, I yeah. had a list made out in January of what I was getting everyone. Buy it, hide it yeah. under my bed. I kind of know what I'm going to get people this year, but I haven't done it. The money yet. situation, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. And we're here again to bring you some something a little different this time. Yeah! This will be a fun show. This is going to be fun. It's a little different than our normal stuff. Yes. But it's going to be just as creepy. I think we had to do something a little bit <laughs> lighter. Um, lighter coming off the back of cannibalism, so that's fun. <laughs> yes. I mean, we ended October with a bang. <laughs> we really did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But of course, we're going to start off with some... News. I would say it's news. It's not really news, yeah. though. It's kind of just this some interesting stuff. thing. Yeah. <laughs> so the Menendez brothers, of course, have been in the news and media recently. Yeah. Um, there was a Instagram post made by Kim Kardashian, who is neighbors with Kathy Griffin. And it was the two of them posing with a painting of <gasps> Kathy Griffin made by Eric Menendez. Is it like a thing now where if you're a serial killer and you go to jail, you become a painter? Um, I mean, it's not is like, like you have ton- your therapy. It's not like you have tons mm-hmm. of stuff to, um, to I mean- do. It's decent, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. It's a decent painting. I don't... It's... Yeah, I mean, it's a a good painting. It's just strange. It's really weird. I'm weirded out by everything that's happening right now. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway. I mean, did you watch the Law & Order? No, I have not watched it yet. I started watching it. It's pretty good. I mean, it's in typical Law & Order cheesy fashion, but it's Just kind of what you expect. I'm just waiting for the dun-dun. Yeah, and right. it never happens. Is that, um, <laughs> is that some, are they keeping it pretty accurate, or? Yeah, it's pretty accurate. I mean, there's a little bit of a, not a time jump, but yeah. they kind of go a few months ahead quickly in the first episode, um, to kind of get into the case a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I like it. Must recommend. But I'm also, like, a huge Law & Order fan. So. Yeah. Yeah, and, well, and it seems like on um, t- TV, TV, like, real TV, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of shows are becoming a lot more popular. Like yeah. the OJ um, Simpson one that they did on yes. Fox and all those, so. 
I, I kind of like them. I hope to see more of those. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting. I did um, also, while we're in our Netflix and chill <laughs> section, <laughs> yeah, I did want to talk about another uh, documentary that's on Netflix. It's called Strong Island, and I haven't watched it yet. It looks really interesting, though. It's about um, the death of the filmmaker's brother and kind of this uh, examination of the judicial, judicial system that let his killer go free. Yes. Um, it looks at kind of... <laughs> yeah, it's kind of these racialized perspectives mm-hmm. and a lot of um, injustices, I think, that we're seeing uh, more portrayed more in the media now um, that are that have always honestly been issues. But, mm-hmm. you know, people are paying attention to them more. So I would definitely suggest you check that out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's on my list. Yeah. This is normally the part where we'd have a trigger warning, but... No trigger warning. No trigger warning on this episode. You know it's going to be light. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. So... This week, I decided I wanted. Okay, so let me preface this. But I'm very interested in weird Victorian history. Yes, I this is in, like her specialty. I live in a Victorian yeah. home. I have been obsessed with Victorian houses since I was little, which is also why we only <laughs> recorded the first episode. There. <laughs> yeah. We got weirded out. Uh, <laughs> she didn't want to go into the cellar yeah, in my basement. No. <laughs> she insisted on being in the cellar, but you know. <laughs> It's pretty creepy down there. I love it. Um, So I went to a sort of lecture, because I'm an old woman. I went to a lecture last year on Victorian death practices at the McHenry County Historical Society. All right. They, that was like, they do like creepy things for Halloween, so they're Halloween. They're doing one next week. Well... <laughs> in the past next week. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're still technically this is still October. Yeah, well, but this is gonna come I like the cat out of the bag. Yeah. We're doing <laughs> so good it's being like bad. in the future. Yeah. Well um no. So their their lecture for October for this year was um kind of like a history of people in McHenry County and they okay. are told by the perspective of the from the dead beyond yeah. the grave. Yes. Last year they did Victorian funeral death practices. And okay. It was amazing. The I entire... love those that they do too because they do. I love such their a lectures. Job. Yeah. I'm such a nerd. I'm like a member of the society. I volunteer there, cataloging stuff. God, what is wrong with me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do I, I don't know that I have time. Oh my god. Time to... <laughs> I, I don't sleep. I just yes. do things. Yeah. Um. But they, like, shrouded the whole museum in black, like, Ooh. cloths, because that's, a, that's yeah. like, a common practice um, for Victorian mourning. Mm-hmm. And they had people dressed in period costume. They served period beverages and food. They had someone playing the organ. It was just very, like... Yeah. All-encompassing, embodying. Janelle loved like, every it. Was second great. of it. was <laughs> great. And I'm sitting there in the front row, like, obviously the youngest person in the entire room under the age of 70, and I'm just like, this is amazing! <laughs> and everyone's, like, hacking their lungs out on their deathbeds because they're all so fucking old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well. So, we're gonna talk about, uh, yeah, Victorian death and funeral practices yes. for this episode. It's gonna be amazing, you guys. Yeah. I mean... This shit's insane. Like, it's... It is. There's some really weird so stuff that weird. they believed in and that they did. Yeah. So, like, the Victorian era was embodied by Queen Victoria. She was, like, the it girl 
of right. this period, hence the reason why we named it the Victorian era. Mm-hmm. Um, but she started all of these mourning and death practices after her husband, Prince Albert, died. She went into, like, this huge, deep, dark mourning period for years. Yeah. Was it, and wasn't her mourning period until she died? Basically, She was mourning yes. him until she died she as well? She wore black for the rest of her life. Yeah. Every morning, she would have her servants lay out clothes for him. The room was untouched. They did not do any updates. It was exactly the way it was when he died. Now that's what I call mourning. Yeah. She would even set out a plate for him. That's crazy. <laughs> every meal. Yeah. And I mean, that's fucking nuts. But if you were in love with someone so much, I could understand, yeah. you yeah. know, taking it to that limit. But not only did these, like, sort of, like, funeral processes and things come out of this time period, but also, like, our modern ways of embalming people came out of this. Yeah. Um, the way we do things now is was Victorian era. I mean, we're going to tell you about some fucking weird yeah. shit that people do to their bodies, to dead bodies, and it's going to freak you yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe a little, like, baby trigger warning for that part, eh. um, but it's not going to be anywhere near as gross yeah. as last week's episode. No. Okay, so let's start off with some, like, superstitions yeah. that people had. So, These are just general yeah, superstitions. General, like, yeah. weird shit that people believed. Yes. What you got? <laughs> um, so, mirrors, they believed that mirrors could trap the deceased person's uh, soul inside the mirror, <laughs> so all of the mirrors in the house would have to be covered in black cloth. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to go do more? Yeah, do, do a, couple, okay. a couple. Um, a couple the, this one I thought was interesting is that the body was taken out of the house feet first to prevent it from calling others to follow it to the grave. So the idea was is that if you took it head first, they could like... I, I imagined it as them, like, sitting up out of the coffin, facing into you, the house, you, you. like, come with me to the grave. <laughs> Just pointing people. Yeah, they have, there's definitely, like, this overarching theme of them thinking death was, like, Imminent. Um, Just... Well, and that it was, like, contagious? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, death was contagious. That's where and these superstitions wanna, yeah. come from. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um... Seeing an owl during the day, um, or finding a single snowdrop on a flower in your garden, which I, I think saw is that one, yeah, yeah, too. <laughs> um, or witnessing a sparrow land on a piano. All, <laughs> Very specific. All foretell imminent death. Where would there be a sparrow and a piano simultaneously? In your outdoor theater. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my god. You gonna take a couple? Yeah. Um, so if you, (laughs) you have to, basically they believed you have to stop the clock at the exact moment of death that the person died in the room that they died in, and it has to remain that way. Forever? Forever. Okay. Or you will have bad luck. Okay. Okay. Um, if you hear a single clap of thunder following a burial, it indicates that the soul has departed and reached heaven. Oh, so it's okay. a good thing. Yeah, so it's a good thing. Just one, though. Um, what if you here's one that I remember from when I was little. If you don't hold your breath while going past yes. a graveyard, you will never be buried. Yep. I yeah, and like, I always thought, I feel like the version <laughs> of that that I always heard was like, holding your pr- holding your breath when you go past a cemetery um, makes it so that the spirits from, like, the cemetery can't enter your yeah. body as you walk past. I mean, there's definitely, like, a lot of variations on this. Yes. 
holding your breath past the graveyard oh thing. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. So, um, if you smell roses when no one is around, that means someone is going to die. Or you're crazy. Yes. Also, you might be having a brain aneurysm. Also that. Um, if you see yourself in a dream, your death will soon follow. So not just like, you know, whatever. Like, if yeah. you see yourself in front of you. I also saw one that was like, if you see somebody having a baby in a dream, that was like the same thing. It was oh, also like, your God. death will soon follow. Kind Gross. of a thing. Yeah. Um, if a picture falls off a wall, there will be a death of someone you know. And then it's considered bad luck to meet a funeral procession head on. If you see one approaching, you're supposed to turn around. And if you can't turn around, you're supposed to hold on to a button of your shirt like, until the entire funeral procession passes. That's so silly. It's the weirdest oh thing God. I've ever heard. So, I have a yeah. couple more, too. Ooh, girl. Yeah. Um, so if multiple deaths occur in the family, a black ribbon was placed on, like, literally everything that left the house, including chickens and dogs. Um, you imagine a little chicken with a little ribbon in yeah. his leg. <laughs> and this is to prevent the spread of death outside of the household. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, if rain falls on the body, the deceased will go to heaven. Okay. That's one I thought was Directly on the body, not on the casket. It's got to be skin-to-skin um, skin contact. I assume so. Casket <laughs> doesn't count. No counties. Um, a dog howling at night when someone in the house is sick is a bad omen. But this omen can be reversed <laughs> by reaching under the bed and turning over a shoe. So make sure you keep shoes under your bed. That's so yeah. bizarre. Yeah. And I had a couple, too, on, like, predetermining your death. Oh, God. Like, that stuff that signaled death. So, mm-hmm. dropping or opening an umbrella in the house meant there would be a murder. Oh, a murder. Yeah. Real specific. It specifically said murder. Yikes. Um, if you hear three knocks and no one is there, it means someone close to you had died. Creepy. My um, house makes weird noises all the time. I, everyone would be like, everyone's dying. dying like flies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, seeing a firefly in your house means you will die. You're dead. Or you just yeah. really need to like spackle some cracks up because yeah, right? the bugs are getting. <laughs> and then one that this is actually one of my favorites because I kind of think about this too, but. Two deaths means a third is sure to follow, and you hear this talk a lot about yeah. with like celebrity deaths, like two died, like who's gonna be the next? We always yeah. talk about that, so yeah, gross. I know. So they had some weird superstitions. Ugh, ew. Okay. Well, <laughs> not only were they fucking superstitious, there was also really weird, weird things happening when a person dies. Death mementos, Ugh. aka memento moris. Yes. Okay, so these fascinate me, and I'm going to tell you something you're probably going to be creeped out by the rest of your life by me. Okay. I collect... Do you collect <laughs> mementos? Memento That's awesome! <laughs> See, that, I actually don't find that weird, because okay. I... When I say that to people, they go, no. first of all, they go, what the fuck is that? Yeah. And then when I explain what it is, they go, why? (laughs) I have always, like, I would love eventually at some point in my life when I have, like, you know, my own house or Mm -hmm. whatever, um, to have a collection of, like, oddities and, like, the mementos definitely fall into the oddities. My library is, like... Category. Like, I have a... a, An oddities museum. I have an antique veterinarian (laughs) syringe. Beautiful. Yeah. And I'm like, this is amazing. It's, yeah. But most people think it's kind of so weird. So the two that I have right now, because they're actually kind of expensive okay. when you find them. Yeah. Have, yeah, they are. 
I have a Victorian era cross stitch that says memories <gasps> with hair cross stitched okay. into it. So I got to see. Here's the thing. Yeah. So you may not know this about this. <laughs> know this about me, but mm. I have a real big issue with hair. And like, that's one of the, um, like, you if you know you. me, I have my hair up. 95% of the time <laughs> that people see me hair on me, around me, and this, it just, it, I don't want to say it's, it's not like scary. It's not like I have a phobia. It's, I, it's gross. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's like one of those things that freaks me out. You can't tell that it's hair though, because it's cross stitched into it. I know it. it's hair. Um, oh, I know. <laughs> but it's gray hair, so it looks like <laughs> silver thread. It's so horrible. I'm sorry. I specifically <laughs> avoided everything that had to do with the hair mementos because it grosses me out so I much. I have it's another so one. The <sighs> tiny one that I have is a brooch, and it's a child's hair that was braided into so ribbon. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, Ugh, it yeah. just gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> so I collect the memento mores, and the little brooch has like flowers, like okay. casket flowers, yeah. and then it's it's so small you wouldn't yeah. even know it's hair, but it's braided into with a ribbon. It's really fine, and it mm-hmm. makes the border of the casket flowers of yeah. the brooch. Okay. It's beautiful. If you looked at it, you'd be like, oh my god, that's, you know, pretty dried flowers with a ribbon. Yeah. The stuff, like, I don't like when it looks like it's obviously oh, yeah. hair. Because there are some that it's almost just like you it's took a, like, hair a lock into of a hair. locket. Because yeah. that was very common to take a lock of someone's hair and tie it with a ribbon yeah. and to keep that. But the people who are richer would take a considerable amount of hair and have, there was a person who would be like, what would you like us to do with yeah. it? And a more often than not, what they would make would be like brooches, rings, lockets, or, um, silhouette boxes, mm-hmm. which is, um, another big thing. That's what the, the cross stitch I have is a silhouette box. Yeah. So they would put the hair in it in like a shape or they would, um, weave yeah. it into something. Yeah. Or and I can would... definitely like appreciate the artistry oh, yeah, on a lot of these beautiful. things because they are super intricate mm-hmm. and some of them and like really working with something like hair. Yeah. Is gross, but also I'm <laughs> sure it takes take some skill. I you mean, know? it's just protein. Ew. Or just lumps stop, of protein. Stop. <laughs> so, ugh. Ugh. Uh, so, like, another thing that people would also do besides, obviously, the, the lockets and things would be, um, like, morning photography or, mm-hmm. like, death photography. Uh, the death photos. That's one of my favorites. So, I really enjoy death photography. Mm-hmm. I have a couple... God, why am I so weird? I have a couple pictures of I'm a, I am here agreeing <laughs> with you to make say, you feel any better. When you say it out loud... <laughs> You're like, fuck, what's wrong with me? Um, But it's just like, uh, I won't do the ones with the infants or children, but it was just like a husband and a wife, like, sitting next to each other is the one photograph that I have. Um, But yeah, so photography at this time was like kind of new. And it costs a considerable amount to have your picture taken. So what people would do is if they couldn't, if they never could afford to have a picture taken of them when they were alive, they sprung that extra couple dollars to have it done in death. So they Mm -hmm. would prop these people up. They would, um, this is where also like the practice of like, um, reconstructing a person's face and things like that to make them look like they're alive and awake and, um, you know, that they have color to their skin. Yeah. That's where this came from because they were prepping these bodies for photographs. So they would have their eyes, this is where the gross part comes in. So they would pin their eyes open, and if there was issues with their eyes, they would have glass, um, Mm -hmm. like little shields made to put over top of the eyeball. Um, They would do things like, 
depending upon the pose that they were in, they would make these, I forget what, there's a term for it, um, well, basically they're exoskeletons mm-hmm. made out of, um, metal, and they would screw into the body. Oh, really? They would screw it into the body. Because I know to sometimes... To keep them standing or propped up yeah. when they were sitting. Sometimes um, they use just, like, stands. They're almost like, um, like doll stands where it's, like, the yeah. bar with just the thing. But I've never heard of them actually, like, screwing them into the bodies. <sighs> this That's is another crazy. thing that I learned at the lecture that I went to. Um, so if they were in a standing position... Yeah. Because there were not a lot of people do because it was very expensive. Yeah. It was a basically a second spine that they would okay. construct out of metal, and they would have the screws go into your actual spine and into your legs and your hips, so that you wouldn't move or slouch or like slink down. Yeah, it would keep your body straight and erect. Yeah, um, for standing poses. Well, not a lot of people did that because that's something that you'd have to do relatively quickly. Yeah, because rigor mortis starts to set in, and then after that, you're all loosey goosey. Right after yeah. that, <laughs> so. Yeah. There is, like, a short period of time where you could do that with a standing pose. That's why the ones that you see more commonly are people laying down or sitting mm-hmm. or leaning on somebody. A lot of yeah. the ones where ba- they're babies, they're, like, inside yeah. of a person's arms or, a you know, a bassinet. One of the things that I found interesting with the death pictures is that they also talked about sometimes you would see, um, like, if it was just the person. Mm-hmm. And I think they did this a lot of time with younger children. Um, in the photos, you would see them standing, say, very close to, like, a curtain, and mm-hmm. that's because there would be somebody behind the curtain whose actual hand was, like, was holding, holding their up. head up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I thought, oh, I never realized that out of however yeah. many... They did make neck braces, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they would also, uh, because... At this time, they would have bodies on display, so that after they do, like, the photograph, or if they didn't do a, a photograph, they would display the body for days, sometimes weeks. Yeah. In your own home. Mm-hmm. At a time. Weird. Gross. Can yes. you imagine the smells? No. That's I don't why, really want That's to. <laughs> why embalming started to come into practice, because they would drain the body of everything and pump it full of fluid so that they would stay um, looking, you know... Flush and pink and rosy, and um, they would also do light tricks where they would have everything was blacked out with the exception of near the casket where they would light it from the side so that it would make it look like there was a glow to the person's cheeks like they were still alive. Uh Um, Yeah, that stuff is just gross. But you can go online and look up so many pictures of death photography. It's pretty fascinating. Um, They would do a lot of at this time, it was a lot of kids dying for the most part. And that's why there was so many photos taken yeah. because they didn't live long enough for them to ever have a picture taken. So they, these families, the only really way to say, you know, oh yeah, I had this child and they died when they were three months old. Here's a picture. Mm-hmm. That's the only really way that you would know that that person ever existed because, I mean, yeah. really, you're buried, you're gone. And there was so such a high infant-child yeah. death mortality rate that is just... Well, not ugh. the only way, because along with a lot of these mementos, <laughs> they also created uh, mourning dolls. Yes, I saw a couple pictures of these, and yeah. they were creepy as fuck. So the grieving parents would create these lifelike doll versions of their dead infants and children... Um, the families would commission what a lot of times were like keepsake dolls if they could afford it. Um, a lot of times they were made of wax and they'd actually be dressed in the child's clothing. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and like we've already talked about with their obsession with keeping hair. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times they would use tufts of the child's hair to make it more like realistic. They wanted it to look as realistic as possible. Um, if the families kept them in the house, they would actually like place them in their crib and their clothes would be changed on a regular basis. And sometimes you'd see them like holding this you know, lifelike doll of their mm-hmm. deceased child. If the child was older, they actually made, um, it would be a wax version of just their head and shoulders with, with like a, a flat back. Yeah. yeah. So that they could, uh, hang it in like a picture frame. So essentially. Um, the doll itself would be put on display at the wake. And sometimes in lieu of like keeping it as a keepsake at the house, they would place it at the grave site. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found interesting is this practice of making, like, mourning dolls of specifically children and infants actually dates back to Roman times, um, where they did that for some of their funeral practices in the Victorian era. Yeah. Folks just mm-hmm. picked it up. That's also really common, yeah. too, in, like, uh, Egyptian um, burials of people who yeah. were royalty. They would make lots and lots and lots of stuff that looked like the person. Yeah. Um so they just keep these little baby dolls. I feel like, did you ever hear the story of Robert the doll? No. Okay, there is, it was around this time period, and it's like a possessed doll, basically. Okay. And the child had died, and they made a doll and used his hair, mm-hmm. um, and then someone had moved into the house after the fact and found the doll, and the doll was, like, possessed. Oh. And this child... Like, was like, oh, this is my friend. He's a real person. He's not a doll. His name's Robert. And, like, it was pretty. Oh. Is this a true story? Like, it's a true, this happened it's a true to story. Somebody? Like, it's a real story. Okay. Um, whether or not the doll was legitimately possessed or if this child was just fucking with people is to be debated. But Robert the doll is definitely a memento mori doll yeah. thing. Yeah. I actually also found a couple stories of people <laughs> keeping their infant children at this time yeah and having them mummified mm-hmm. and kept in bassinets yeah that actually does not object. surprise me at all they called it an object de art yeah because they definitely i mean they had all these like funerary practices <laughs> and superstitions but it was mm-hmm. almost like this obsession with death yes. that was just really was pervasive in the extreme, culture extreme yeah. death obsession yeah. and people tell me all the time that i'm obsessed with death and it's not I, like, I don't think about dying or, you know, like, I'm not scared of dying. It's not that. It's that I'm fascinated with the way that the living cope, let me put quotes on that, copes with dying. mourn or do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's super interesting because I'm of the belief that when you die, that's it. Yeah. Like, you go back into the earth, you become one with the earth again, but I don't necessarily, your spirit and all that other stuff. Um... I kind of just like, you're done. (laughs) No, I think it is interesting. Um, There's been a lot more conversations about it now because there is this kind of like movement for a more natural burial that's happening. Oh, yeah. Tree pods, man. That's my goal. Well, tree pods (laughs) and things like preparing the body yourselves at home. Mm -hmm. And there's people who are advocating for this versus... Um, you know, just pumping all this money into like the funerary industry. It is, and it's a sham. <laughs> using all the chemicals. Well, and the, they'll charge for it because people will pay for it. And because they're, yeah, yeah. they're preying on yeah. this person. Anyway, in time of need. it's an interesting topic um, to see how people. I mean, it's a blessing and a curse because yeah. 
you're you're helping this person get through this difficult time, and more often than not, people don't know how to deal with death like that, mm-hmm. and that's why we have all of these um, superstitions and practices yeah. and things. It's basically just that the living can move on. But on the other end, you're charging people excessive amounts of money right. when they're during this grieving period, mm-hmm. and that's where I kind of get like yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I did, um, during, like, in the course of this research of some of these Victorian death and funeral practices, I stumbled upon, it was this really interesting thing that was, you ever have that where it's like, you click a link and you go into another link and then it leads you to another thing? Yes. And this happens... You mean falling down the rabbit hole? Yes. Well, and this happens a lot, too, I think, when I'm looking at stuff from from other countries where they're referencing, like, a town that I didn't, I don't yeah. know of or some something, so then I'll look that up to get more context or whatever, and that's exactly what happened with this. Um, so I want to talk really briefly about, it's called Postman's Park, and it's located in Little Britain, City of London. Okay, so this That's is the TV first show thing. Also, Little Britain. Well, Little Britain, yes. <laughs> well, and I'm wondering, I don't know if it has anything to do with that, but yeah. City of London is actually different than, like, London, the capital city. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know this. Have you ever heard of this before? Um, not Postman's Park, but, like, the City, city of, of London. London yeah. yeah, um... I'm not going to go into it because like it's kind of complicated. It on one of my show, like the British shows that I watch, yeah. where like someone's like, "Oh, we're going to London," but then they actually wound up in the city of London. Yeah, and they were like, it has to do big. Be- the city, joke. yeah, <laughs> the city of London was actually um, like settled before London, the capital, and it was this walled-in city. Even today, they have their own separate set of laws. They have it's like a lord mayor versus a mayor. They have their own <laughs> police force, and yeah, yeah, it's this whole weird thing. Anyway, it's so. It's it's in the city of London, is mm-hmm. basically what I'm getting at. Um, and it was built on the site of the former headquarters of the General Post Office. It opened in 1880, um, and the site itself was also the former site of churchyard, the churchyard and burial ground of St. Boltoff Aldersgate Church. And then it expanded to incorporate the adjacent burial grounds of a couple other, like, churches in the area. Um, but in the 1900, a painter and sculptor, George Frederick Watts, um, proposed and ended up getting approved, turning this park into a memorial called Memorial to Heroic Self-Sacrifice. And it's dedicated to the ordinary people who died while saving lives of just other ordinary people oh, wow. who might have otherwise really been forgotten. Um, it's made, the memorial itself, it's made out of, like, these tiles on a wall on the outside of the building. Mm -hmm. And, um, each of these plaques describes the honored person, how the honored person died along with the name and the death of the date. And some of these, these are ones that I thought were kind of interesting. Um, but some of the titles and tiles include Mary Rogers, stewardess of the Stella March uh, or of the Stella, March 30th, 1899, self-sacrifice by giving up her life belt and voluntarily going down in the sinking ship. Wow. <laughs> um, Thomas Griffin, fitter's laborer, April 12th, 1899, in a boiler explosion at a Battersea sugar refinery was fatally scalded in returning to search for his mate. Um, Sarah Smith, pantomime artist at Prince's Theater, died of terrible injuries received attempt- when attempting in her inflammable dress to extinguish the flames which had enveloped her companion, January 24th, 
And more recently, I think this actually might be the most recent one that has been um, put up on the memorial, mm -hmm. Lee Pitt, reprographic operator, aged 30, saved a drowning boy from the canal at Thamesmead, but sadly wasn't able to save himself June 7th, 2007. Oh, that's kind of so nice. So I thought it was really interesting. If you look up Postman's Park online, um, if you just do like a Google search, it has like pictures of the tiles and everything, and you can go and visit that as like a, like a touristy thing. I j it was one of these things that I just had to find. I thought, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So That's amazing. A little sidebar there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... <laughs> Another weird thing that was happening at this time uh, was body snatching. And I don't know if you're familiar with body snatching. Like invasion of the body snatchers? Close, but... Like that kind of body snatching? Um, it was like literally epidemic, like, level body snatching going on in the 1800s. Like, so there's a belief that in Christianity and actually pretty much every religion that I can fucking think of where, like, if you, there's desecration or resurrection of the body before... Christ in mm -hmm. Christian terms, um, that the soul would be trapped on earth or in limbo or they can never fully go beyond. Um, so during this time when all this body snatching was happening, like people were take going into graveyards in like droves and digging up bodies because it, this period was like the age of scientific discovery. So all of these medical schools were looking for bodies, cadavers yeah. to practice on. So there was this fear um, that when you would go to bury your loved one, that their body was going to be desecrated or chopped up or robbed from the grave. Um, so they started coming up with all of these, like, cool, weird things to stop these, like, grave robbers from mm -hmm. taking, like, bodies. So <clears throat> one of the things that people started doing was having burial clubs. So It sounds so exclusive. It does. <laughs> So in a burial club, um, <laughs> families uh, would kind of pool together money and buy plots of land for their entire family. Um, another thing they would have, like, fences, iron fences resurrected around them um, to kind of keep people out. They mm -hmm. would have their name on it. This is where you start seeing, like, family mausoleums and things like oh, that. Okay. Um, and so these clubs came together to sort of, like, keep... Uh, poor people out and like have like exclusivity in death. Yeah. Um, and death, uh, I feel like at this time it was, uh, I mean, this is a time when class distinctions were a very big thing. So even during your funeral, it needed to be as grandiose yes. as possible to show off your status in society, too. Yeah. Um, they did have ones for poor families. Yes. Yeah, so, which is like an insurance based scam, basically. Ki yeah, kind um, of. But and the, the barrel clubs of the upper class echelon, they would put like a, they would pay into it and it would guarantee you a spot. Um, it would guarantee you all of the things that you needed for a, a nice, beautiful funeral. Yeah. Um, whereas the ones for the poor people were. Not yet. Yeah. Uh, so, vastly different. Right. So while these burial <laughs> clubs were great for people who could afford it, these super rich people, um, the people who couldn't afford it weren't as lucky. Uh, the, they would actually rely on what was called a poor union burial. And it sounded like to me that a lot of these were set up by like the companies that they worked for. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, 
burial, like the way they were buried, I saw it described as a pauper's grave without a headstone and with little to no ceremony. So they basically took your dead loved one and kind of just chucked them wherever. Yeah. And I like to say every time someone says, what do you want to do when you're dead? Um, Throw me in a ditch. Yep. And that's literally what they would do. That's basically a poor union burial. (laughs) Yes. I want a poor union burial. Yeah. Throw me in a fucking ditch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so, like, the burial clubs for the poor, um, it would actually be, like, entire groups of people who lived in, like, um, a tenant area or whatever. Right. They would put, they would pay insurance on their funeral, basically, Mm -hmm. is what it was. So, it would be, like, a monthly payment they would pay to ensure that they would just have a spot in a coffin. Yeah. Not necessarily a grave marker or anything like that. So, those burial clubs for the poor were, I mean, barely a step above a, a poor union. Because the other yeah. thing to consider, too, is this at a time where disease is, like, rampant and oh the mortality gosh. rate yes. is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So the amount of space that they had to actually Very bury limited. people, yeah, super limited. So even just having a space in a coffin was, like, was a big deal. A, it was a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, because a lot of times, too, like, if you weren't claimed, mm-hmm. whatever happened to your body is... Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of all of these (laughs) diseases running rampant, um, there was this huge fear of premature burial because Mm -hmm. when you tried (laughs) to determine one's death, it wasn't exactly reliable. They hadn't perfected science (laughs) They first started getting into actually physically finding the anatomy of yeah the yeah it was very early on in like what we would they weren't relying on humors anymore oh my god <laughs> the humors humors yeah god. um this fear of like being buried alive kind of reached its height during the cholera epidemics there were a oh, couple yes. like uh mm-hmm. measles mumps i think was yep. around then um, and smallpox smallpox you would suffer from catalepsy mm-hmm. which is where your body would seize the muscles would stop moving you would still be conscious so basically yeah. a coma and same thing with cholera too right mm-hmm. before you passed away if you were going to pass away you would be put into this kind of like coma like a trans- state almost. But they didn't recognize that as a, they didn't know the difference no between like a what coma a, a and coma death. was. Yeah. It wasn't a thing yet. So right. So that's why like, oh, you stopped breathing. Yeah. There was no way that they could tell that you were still active in your brain. Right. Yeah. There's no technology for that. Exactly. So, so in like, order. did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in order to stop the spread of disease, which again, they didn't really have modern medicine as we know it today, so they There's would... no washing your hands. No. That didn't um, <laughs> They would bury the body shortly after this person went mm-hmm. into a coma to really stifle this, like, spread of disease and everything. So, in order to ease the fear of being buried prematurely, they actually uh, started designing safety coffins. Oh, my God. Which I always I love this idea. loved researching yeah. safety coffins. That was really fun, <sighs> yeah. Um... There, there was a style of safety coffin that was really popular. It's called an escape vault. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, I kind of imagined it as, I mean, when I saw the pictures, it almost reminds me of like the freezers that they put bodies oh, yeah. in, in like, um, coroner's offices and things. But it's basically like a, a big cement wall. And then each grave would be outfitted with a hatch style door that could be opened from both the outside and the inside in case you like weren't patient enough to want to wait for somebody to come get you out. If you woke up, 
Um, uh, another common design involved like a flag or a bell system. Yeah, the bell system. I yeah. So if somebody woke up in the coffin, um, they would trigger. There's like a trigger on the inside of the coffin that would trigger a bell on the outside mm-hmm. to ring or like a flag to go up. So if somebody was outside, I trust the bell system more. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit more because you can just bring it over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you could trigger that, and whoever was outside would know that you're like still alive in the coffin. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find a fun fact that taphophobia is the fear of being alive, buried alive, <laughs> just being alive, just being alive. <laughs> just, the fear of being buried alive. Yes. Yeah, taphophobia. For those that That's were wondering, interesting. Yeah. I actually okay. So there's another story that I found on here. Um. So one of the designers of a oh yes, coffin, I heard this. Um, his name is Timothy Clark Smith, mm-hmm. and he is buried in the Evergreen Cemetery in New Haven, Vermont. So he was buried in his own design. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died on Halloween of 1893. So spooky. Um, he was buried in his little coffin, and it is the one um, where it has the cement tube. Looking up from your face, and there's a glass covering over it. Um, It also has a bell in it. Yeah, but for some reason, there's it's called a gazing tube. Oh, so that you can look into it and up to see if a person is still alive. Um, So (laughs) he was buried because he was so afraid that he was going to be buried alive. Um, So he's put into his own design. Well, the gross thing is, you can still go visit it. Yeah. And see into the tube. Oh my god. That's awesome. Um, so that's why I gave the name yeah. of the cemetery if you're ever in New Haven, Vermont. Yeah. Um, if, <laughs> if you go there, supposedly now, all you can see is just blackness. Yeah. But there are, like, stories and reports yeah. and pictures of people taking pictures of his fucking decaying head. Yeah. Through the tube. <laughs> So that's not where I thought you were going with that. No. Because I, during this research, I read another story that's kind of similar Mm -hmm. in that it was another, maybe it was even the same guy. I'm not even sure. I forget who it was. I should have written it down because that would have been a good researcher thing to do. Um, (laughs) Wait, you have to research? Yeah, right. Um, It was another designer of these safety coffins, Mm -hmm. and he was also afraid of being buried alive. He had this Mm -hmm. taphophobia. And... He wanted to test out the coffin that he had designed, and I believe it was one of the the bell and flag systems, which is why I'm wondering if it's the same guy. Um, So in order to test this out, a lot, while he was alive and awake, he was buried alive in this coffin, and then he proceeded to, like drink tea and have some soup and eat a sandwich and, and then like let them know outside to let him out of the oh coffin and found out that the coffin worked. It was like, okay, that's weird. <laughs> that's what I, that's the story I thought you were going no. with. Yeah. So we talked about body snatching and how fucking ridiculous it was. Um, but it became like, it came to such a point that People were getting worried about this, and they had all these safeguards in place to minimize your chance of getting um, snatched or grave robbed. Um, that they, in the United States, enacted the Anatomy Act in 1832 to combat body snatching. Okay. So the law legalized the dissection of people who died in prisons, asylums, or workhouses. Okay. 
Um, so a relative would have to come forward within seven days of death, um, have money to pay for a coffin and a church burial, and then the, the body could be released to them. Now, if they didn't have these things, then they would be sent to a teaching institution for a dissection donation. So if you were in jail and your family didn't come and claim your body within seven days, your body would be sent to a school. Yeah. So they even if they you did and they couldn't afford it, they would still like they would still send donate your body. Yep, That's interesting. Body. So you'd have to have preparations in place yeah. for that person, otherwise they wouldn't release the body to you. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's kind of fucked up. But most of the time, these people who are dying in prisons didn't have family anymore. Yeah. Or especially in an asylum. Yeah. At that time, it was like and like you were never born. Yeah. Put in there, <laughs> throw away the key, type of thing. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, the law. I mean, it kind of worked. There were still people grave robbing in 1850 alone in New York City. There were 600 to 700 graves opened oh, in that year alone. Wow. That's how fucking out of control it got. Yeah. And they were putting all these, you know, things in place. Like, the reason we see wrought iron fences around cemeteries was because of grave robbing. Mm -hmm. We were trying to detract people um, by having gate locked gates and things. Of course, you could still fucking walk in and, you know, go over the fence yeah. I mean, there were still ways to get in there. Yeah, but it definitely made it a little bit more difficult Slightly than just, like, difficult. walking yeah. in. Yeah, and they yeah. Were, there were people who were actually buying um, triple coffins, where you would be buried in three coffins. <laughs> so you put your body in the original coffin. Yo, dog. Be a, I heard you like coffins. Yeah, and there would be another <laughs> coffin on top, and then a box, like a lock box with locks on it wow. as the third coffin. Just to deter people from digging you up. So once they got to that lock box, like, fuck, this is a triple coffin. Can't bust into that shit. Yeah. So they would just leave your grave open and be like, on to the next wow. one. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so it's just, I mean, the the chances of someone's body being disinterred was extremely high. I mean, there was such a high demand for bodies at schools, teaching schools, yeah. that there were groups of people called resurrection men, mm -hmm. like Companies put together that were hired by schools to go dig graves and to procure bodies. I feel like this is, um, wasn't this Burke and Hare? Yep. Did that? Yeah. Uh, that's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> I want to cover them eventually. Yeah, that is um, one of my It's on my list. Uh, <laughs> also, a great movie starring uh, Simon Pegg yep. on Netflix. Oh my it's God. hilarious. It's amazing. Check it out. <laughs> um, there were still people who were getting around these laws too and you know, doing shady practices, they would forge papers to say that the bot the, the family released the body to a school. Mm -hmm. They would also, there was companies, so at this time in uh, London specifically, their um, graveyards were becoming so overcrowded that they started moving and separating them and having new graveyards being opened. So there were companies being hired um, these resurrection men mm -hmm. to come dig up these graves and move them to um, new graveyards and okay. new cemeteries that were being created. Well, what they would do was they would dig up the bodies, take the body, fill the caskets with sand and rocks, put them in the new grave with the new headstone. Wow. So there's actually a story oh not God. too long ago of um, a, if it was a cemetery in England that became flooded and they went to go fix 
the oh, flooding, no. and there were caskets filled with rocks. Wow. Just straight up rocks. And that's how they were like... Yeah. You know... That's crazy. These, these companies were taking the... So they were doing double duty. They were getting paid yeah. to move these bodies, yeah. and then they were taking the bodies to the schools and getting paid for the body. Because yeah. you get paid per body. Yeah. Well, and it's all about the hustle, too. You want to get that yeah, higher social hustle. status. So, I yeah. mean... More often than not, like, if you were buried in this time period, like, your body probably didn't remain in your grave. Yeah. You would be at a a dissection table somewhere. (laughs) That's a poor science. I mean, (laughs) to be fair, you probably did help a lot because their science techniques back then were shit. They would also actually turn people's bodies into skeletons. Yeah. So that they could be... For, like, classes. For classes, which is... And there's, I mean, there's a lot of... Especially if you were a twin or if you had a, a... a weird malady when you yeah. died. Um, they would look specifically. The people would go through the papers and look to see where these people were being buried and what they died from. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> these schools would have wish lists. Oh, yeah. To look for specific things so that they could study them. And a lot of people at the time were not, like, okay with donating their body to science like they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, because people were still very afraid that uh, desecration of the body would mean that you weren't going to heaven. Oh, yeah. Yep. So there wasn't a lot of people who were willingly donating their body to science. Yeah. Um, but there was a case that I found um, that was kind of sad. And this is what I'm going to end my body snatching on. (laughs) Um, So in 1889, it was the coldest recorded winter in Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, Reverend John Lesdale was a pastor of Queensdown Baptist Church. He was um, a little distraught because his wife had just died. She had passed away. It was like the love of his life. And he put on this huge, big funeral for her. Had her interred in this beautiful pearl casket and, like, dressed her up in a really, really expensive, very fancy, flowery, lacy gown. Um, they did have her buried in, um, the, that church that he was a pastor for his graveyard. And it was, you know, the traditional surrounded by a gate. Okay. Well, the unthinkable happened. Of course. And someone stole her from the grave. So... He, like, went to the press, and he was like, listen, my wife just died. I am the pastor of this church. Not only was she taken from the grave, but 30 other people in the same night were stolen. I want to know who did this, and I want the bodies returned. Yeah. Well, some time period went by, and he put together a group of people to search and figure out who did this. Okay. And then he started saying, okay, I need to know who did this. I need to know where these bodies are. We want them returned to the grave. I have, you know, uh, we'll give you, I think it was like $500 if you wow. can, if we can locate all these bodies. Which, Which would have been a lot at the time. It was like a, a lot of money. Amount. Yeah. And he worked for church, so he had it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what wound up happening is family members uh, of the people that were robbed from the grave actually figured out what happened. They went to Columbia College because there was a tip saying, oh, we think that... Because it was the closest school. Mm -hmm. We think that maybe the bodies were taken there. Because obviously when you rob a grave, if you're not taking the body... Like, most people 
would take like jewelry or whatever off of them or mm-hmm. any any sort of gold plating on the casket. It's not like a robbery. That's it's a grave a, robbery. Yeah. The snatching part, like obviously if the body wasn't there, more often than not it was taken to a medical school. Sure. So their thought process was okay, well let's go to Columbia College, that's the closest medical school, we'll figure it out. So they went there and they found his wife. She was actually Oh no! Being studied by female doctors. Okay. Um, because apparently, well, that's weird. Apparently, I guess there was some colleges that were religious based wouldn't allow men to do anatomical research on women. Oh. Only, only the women. So what they would do is, which they I would, find interesting, that women weird. are involved in medicine at all at that point. Because well, they aren't studying to become doctors. Oh, they are surgical secretaries. So what they would do is they would get the instructions from the the male doctor that uh, what to study. Okay. They would follow the instructions, write the notes, and give it to the stu- the, the male student doctor oh my God. because they weren't allowed to view the female Fucking nude gender body. roles. Right? That's so dumb. Fucking stupid. Oh my God. So that explains why there were she was- <laughs> women in the surgical. Yeah. Section, though. That's crazy. We're just secretaries, but really we retain all of this knowledge. secretaries. You retain all the knowledge, so you're really, you're the doctor. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that she was being worked on, that's in quotes, by four female surgical secretary doctors um, who were studying her her anatomy for someone else. (laughs) And what had happened is they took her body and they pickled it in a vat. Um, to preserve it so that they could do uh, their research. Because they weren't going to actually, like, cut into her all the way. I guess it was something to do with, like, the nervous system. Okay. That they were trying to view, uh, yeah. like, muscle and nerves and things. So, so weird. Ugh. We can pickle that. <laughs> exactly. And, in <laughs> fact, they did. So she was pickled and then laid on a marble slab for, uh, you know, viewing. Ew. So what happened was no files were actually charged uh, or by the police, no files, no charges were filed. I was just gonna filed. let it go. I was no, gonna let it go. I'm like reading, but the words aren't computing. Um, so no charges were filed by the police uh, on any of the grave robbers because they figured out who did it. Okay. Because um, they went to the school, they're like, we're searching for this body. It was this was not a consented um, yeah. donation. Yeah. And the schools, most of them were trying to adhere to the anatomy act and be like, okay, well, we have paperwork and they found out the paperwork was forged and then they figured out who forged it. And that's how they figured out who robbed the grave. Gotcha. So they took back all the body, all 30 bodies were recovered. Um, some of them of course had been dissected, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but they were reinterred and, um, put back into the grave and then they actually started having night watchmen. This is where night watchmen came in. Um, to patrol the cemeteries to deter grave robbers from coming in. Yeah. Um, So that was another thing that a lot of people would do um, if they had, if their graveyard had been broken into um, churches would hire people to stay out there during the night to prevent grave robbing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So that's body snatching. What a, what a way to end the show. Yeah. There's a happy ending. I they mean, were yeah, there was a the happy grave. Ending, I mean, yes, they were yeah. pickled, but they were returned. We could pickle that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can pickle anything, really. It's so true. <laughs> uh, yes. 
No, that was fun. I like, um, that was like a little fact show. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of on the fun side, you know? Fun and weird. Yeah. Just like me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Also me. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, we're just podcasting for ourselves. Mm. (laughs) Yes. Speaking of podcasting. Yeah. Let's talk about my suggestion for this week. We Um, need to come up with a name for this. Like, Vicky's, like, suggestion corner is just blah. We need something... Nice, impactful. I gotta think about Powerful it. as our Netflix and chill yeah. segment. <laughs> I'll think about it and yeah. get back to you on that. We need that. to name yeah. our segments now. We gotta yeah. be official. This is a business. <laughs> is this is a podcast business. <laughs> so this week I started listening to, it's called Dirty John, and it's put out by the LA Times. Super mm-hmm. new. Okay. Um, as of recording, there's only Four, four or five episodes, I think, out, and it's a, I believe, a six, six episode series. Oh, it's, it's like a, series. a it's a okay. one off, yeah. But it, they just released it. Okay. Um. So I'm sometimes I cannot do better at explaining what the podcast is than the summary of the podcast. Right. So I'm just gonna read that to you. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So Deborah Newell is a successful interior designer. She meets John Meehan, a handsome man who seems to check all the boxes, attentive, available, just back from a year in Iraq with Doctors Without Borders. But her family doesn't like John, and they get entangled in an increasingly complex web of love, deception, forgiveness, denial, and ultimately survival. Reported and hosted by Christopher Gofford from the LA Times. It is amazing. It's also on the Wondering Network. Surprisingly enough, I don't... I'm not sure because I'm not done with it yet. Okay. Um, so I'm not familiar with the story. But a big part of what this looks at is coercive control within oh, relationships. Okay. And it's the thing that I find really intriguing about the story. Not only is it done really well, it's presented mm-hmm. really well. And you, they have interviews from Deborah Newell and like, like her kids and stuff and like stuff. that. Yeah. Okay. And how you have this smart, beautiful, successful woman that can still get like, duped into... Yeah, manipulated. Something like that. When it comes to matters of the heart, man. Yeah, it's it's produced really well. They tell the story really, really well. Um, I am absolutely in love with this this podcast. So, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, Dirty John is the name of it. Nice. Yes. (sighs) Well... I don't know if you guys remember when we did an interview with my sister. Yes. Um, yeah, it was science. when we talked about mm-hmm. junk science. Yep. Alina. She told me the other day that she is actually, there's positions opening up for our government, specifically the FBI. The FBI. So I want to say good luck to you, Alina. Yeah, good luck. Applying for a fancy <laughs> job. It's sometimes, I love when things like this happen because it's like, man, it makes me feel a lot better knowing that person would be like a part of the organization. I'm just going to say you're welcome because I definitely pushed you into that. <laughs> um, so really your with, success is because of Jim. Yes. Just, when you're a famous like criminal yeah. DNA expert for the FBI and you're pro Profiling these people, you can just say in your like, oh my god, what a speech for all the freaking awards you're gonna win. I want to thank my sister and the Bad Taste Crime Cast for pushing me into this profession. (laughs) And then we'd be in the back like, we did that for you. We did it. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's really exciting. Um. I have one t- shout out. Do you have any shout outs besides nah. my sister? Besides, <laughs> besides sister, my sister, no. shout out. Um, no. I want to thank 
Fox. On her, I don't know what her real name is, but her name is. I was like the Fox. network. No, on Twitter, <laughs> and it's at Cascadian Poppy is her handle. Okay, she like five times in the past two weeks has. Like, when someone asks for suggestions, yeah. we're, like, number one suggestion oh. every time. Thanks, so, Not the news network. No, yeah, no. Fuck the news network. Uh, <laughs> political statement. <laughs> um, not this podcast. Disclaimer, we're not yeah. a political podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, thank you for shouting us out every time someone's like, I need something new to listen to. Yeah. Thanks, girl. Thanks. We- <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Premature! <laughs> oh, also, yeah. um, we just want to say merch is coming. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Oh, okay, I thought you were button. going into the ending because nope. you did your river barrel No, I went to go set it down and then my hand hit it. Oh, it's man. fine. We yeah, sure so did it. <laughs> this month in November, keep an eye out. We're just about done. The merch It'll is be coming. out. Yeah. <laughs> it's happening, it was- guys. Is that supposed to be like a Game of Thrones thing? No, but I mean, like, I, I, I've been watching coming, a lot of um, Conan O'Brien's The Clueless Gamer. Oh yes, I just saw the <laughs> one he did with um, um, <laughs> that's uh, the voice he makes. That's what his is nerd his name? Voice. Not, uh, I do that a lot. C- Camille Nanjiani. Oh yeah, I just he saw was, that he one. Did voiceover work in in a video. Yeah, game it was the new Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Oh my god, so funny. Ah, uh, totally off topic. I. Have been becoming a video game nerd Ooh, by watching the, by watching the Clueless Gamer. Join us. I identify with him. I'm like, why are you doing that? Yeah, What's right. happening? And then you just die. Uh, all he the was time. like, it's just like a masterpiece watching you play. You can tell you never go outside. I was like, that's my life. But his nerd voice is <laughs> so what good. I default yeah. to. Yes. <laughs> so on that note, yeah. uh, we want to thank. Tiff for our sound and editing. Yes. And Jason Z, the Enigma for our music. Hit it, <laughs> Hit it for real this time. On <laughs> cue. Yes. Um, yes. And that has been our show. Yeah. Shout us out, guys. Twitter, BT Crime Cast. Oh, yeah. Get on our website. All that shit. Tell us things. You'll, we love you, you. You've heard us talk about it a million times. In case you, know you forget. Where we're at. Yes. <laughs> All right. See you guys next time. Bye. 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 <laughs> as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all evil in some form or another.